Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and world. Let's get into this week's episode. Welcome. My name is Erin Moniz, here with my co-host, Blake Dean, and you are listening to New Voices, a part of Mutuality Matters, a podcast by CBE International. We are excited today to host author, minister, and professor, Dr. Rob Dixon. Dr. Dixon is an Associate Regional Ministry Director with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship USA and a Senior Fellow for Gender Partnership with InterVarsity Institute. He's an adjunct professor at Fresno Pacific University and Fuller Theological Seminary. He provides training on flourishing mixed-gender ministry partnerships for numerous organizations around the country, and he has a new book coming out that we are so excited about and we want you all to learn about and go buy. And he is a part of our podcast family. Yes, friends, you will hear more from Rob because he um, is joining us as uh, one of our our family of co-hosts that are starting this new adventure with CBE. So we are very excited to have him here. Um, Thank you for being here, Rob. Awesome. It's so great to be with you. Thanks. Yes. And so as uh, our listeners know, we always like to start with watch, read, or listen, where we tell you what we're watching, reading, or listening about too. I don't know. I'm, I'm lost prepositions on prepositions. Are prepositions hard. are hard. Um, so uh, uh, Blake Dean, what are you watching, reading, or listening to? Man, so sometimes I don't sound as highbrow as I'm about to sound, but I'm excited because I sound really cool um, oh, with my answer. Cool points. Yeah. I'm um, reading Dante's Divine Comedy as a part of the 100 Days of Dante that Baylor University in partnership with University of Dallas is putting on. It's really great. So I'm in the beginning of the Inferno. Wow. And how long is that supposed to take you to get through all that? A hundred days. <laughs> but like realistically. A hundred days. You're going for it. From now until Easter. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We're all rooting for you, Blake Team. Thank you. I'll keep you posted. That is pretty highbrow. I'm going to lower the bar. <laughs> I'm sure a bit. you are. Culturally, we're going to go back down. Um, and what we are watching is we are re-watching all the unbreakable Kimmy Schmitz. Yeah. Um, and that's just sort of yeah. where we've, where we've it's been. Like Virgil, uh, Titus Andromedon, Seller. Yeah, we ha- yeah, exactly. There's, there's a parallel there, but yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of where we've been, we've been jamming, just, just enjoying some, some old school comedy. So, um, so, Rob, uh, tell us what you are watching, reading, or listening to. Well, I suppose I'll take the bar even lower and say um, my wife Amy and I are in season five of Secretary. So off the air now, but was a Taylioni, I think, and um, uh, where she's the Secretary of State and she's solving problems all over the world, and it's become kind of our our evening uh, watch. And so it's been fun. The end is in sight though. So we'll, we'll be looking for another option when we're done with, with uh, Madam Secretary. And then um, maybe I'll say this too. I've been listening to the Mars Hill podcast, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, which I would imagine listeners on episode, I'm through episode four, episode five is the one where they talk about the effect on women. So I'm bracing myself to, uh, to listen to episode five. That one is a big one. That that one you have to kind of brace yourself for, but um, yes. but also yeah. Madam Secretary is I I really enjoyed the show. Of course, I was a West Wing nut 
back in the day yes. when that aired. So that was a, a nice transition and Tay Leone does a fantastic job. Um, well, wonderful. Well, Rob, we are so, so glad to have you here and we are very excited to talk about your new book, which um, by the time this podcast airs will be out and available to folks. We're going to direct them to where they can pick this up, but it's called Together in Ministry and it is about male-female partnerships and it, it plays off of the research that you've been doing and, and breaks down steps um, for folks who are engaging in those male-female partnerships um, in places of ministry and you provide an ideology and a uh, and, and several sort of practical things uh, that people can be thinking about and working through and doing. And so that's that's a little little overview of the book. Um, and so Blake, um, I know we've we've got some some questions, but um, but Rob, is that a fair summary? Uh, anything you'd like to add to that? <laughs> no. Yeah. Good job. That's a great start. Okay. All right. What I love about your this project that's coming out is it's deeply practical. And I typically, um, I haven't run into many books with this level of practicality that don't do, don't kind of fall off one side of the cliff that either don't overgeneralize to the point that it's no longer able to be contextual or um, stay away so far from generalization that they don't actually give any kind of concrete practical advice. I wonder, um, how did you, what, what compelled you to move towards this practical yet hopeful and contextual framework? Well, thanks, Blake. I'm glad you picked up on the practical piece. That's a, I, one of the ways I've described together in ministry. In fact, it's in the book itself is that it's a, I, I see it as a prophetic roadmap. So, um, and I think the roadmap parts part speaks to the practical practical thing you're talking about the framework. So, a couple thoughts on that. Number one, I am by nature a practical person, so um, it's a huge value for me. I I can deal with conceptual conversations, but only so long. Like I don't know how long I'd hang in there with with Dante. I mean, I can deal with the conceptual. <laughs> But maybe not for so long. I needed to land somewhere. I needed to help people practically. And so I think Together in Ministry is just an expression of my own sort of personal bent towards uh, practical and helping people. But I think the reason beyond that would be that um, I just think we need a roadmap. We need concrete help moving towards flourishing mixed gender ministry partnerships. Um, They won't just happen. They haven't just happened. Uh, they haven't proven to be intuitive for the church. There's, and then beyond that, I think there's reasons why the project of flourishing partnerships uh, are difficult. So there's reasons why they, there's landmines. There's, uh, to paraphrase from the Old Testament story, there's giants in the land. So, so we need a roadmap to get from here to where we want to be in terms of men and women thriving together in ministry. And so I hope enter together in ministry. In terms of the contextual piece, I think for me, um, I'm trying hard in the book to to lay out um, principles. And so there's these 10 attributes that kind of weave their way through the book. Um, and I am I think you'll find a ton of practical ideas and ways that you can implement those attributes. I am confident and hopeful that those folks will be able to um to be able to implement the stuff that is in together in ministry. And so kind of my framework is I'll give you the principle. I'll give you ideas. There's questions at the end of every chapter that will hopefully help people land in a place of implementation. And then I trust that 
that the readers will take that and run with it and that the Holy Spirit will guide that process. Yeah, I really appreciate that about your book, Rob, because um, there is this very fine line that we walk in these subjects where you sometimes get the men are from Mars, women are from Venus, kind of like we, we want to talk about distinctions between the sexes, but then oftentimes we get in trouble and, and we go extra biblical and we begin to kind of superimpose cultural things when we do that. And, and so then it, it's tough because there's a, there's a critique out there, especially of egalitarian literature, of being too androgynous in its attempts to, to uh, talk about men and women and, 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 and speak to that without superimposing some of those generalizations. And, um, and you, I, I just really loved what I've read of your work because um, I think this is tough to do. And I think you, you give good credence to saying the sexes are different and when we work in a work environment, that has to be noted, and that's important, but there's a way to do it that is God-honoring, and you ground that theologically so that the framework is not the cultural differences between the sexes as much as it is how the Lord has created us to be different image bearers and what that looks like for flourishing. So so I think that I, I love that because I like I want readers to hear uh, that when, they, when they're going for your book and, and realizing, oh, this is something that that I can I can look at and it can help me and be practical, but isn't going to just be another men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Yes, which is a book that I critique in Together in Ministry. <laughs> yes, so, so yes I appreciate that. the Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yep. I think the to go even further on how you do that, you identify three spheres or three domains in which um, intentionality has to be. Um, kind of offered or taken seriously to make flourishing mixed gender um, ministerial partnerships. I wonder if you could briefly talk about those three spheres for our listeners who haven't read your book. Yeah. So let me start before the three spheres, Blake, let me start just a little bit further back. So when I entered into the doctoral program, um, my research question that I brought to the table was what is the, the best set of attributes that would make that constitute flourishing partnerships between women and men in ministry. And so I was investigating that. I sat down with, I think it's more than 60 different InterVarsity staff workers. I work for InterVarsity and, uh, and interviewed them about their experiences, gathered a mountain of data, sifted it all, and emerged with these 10 attributes. And so that really is the spine of the model. And then as I sat and played with those 10 attributes, I realized that they they can be um, positioned into three different domains. And so that's where your question is. So the first one is the inner life. So this is uh, who someone is and is becoming. So, which makes intuitive sense, right? When you think about having a healthy partnership with someone of the opposite gender, who you are matters to that, right? And there's three attributes within the inner life domain that that uh, folks can pay attention to and, and, and are success factors. The second one is the community culture. So this would be the, the context in which the ministry partnership is located or situated. And obviously that, I mean, intuitively that makes sense as well. If you are in a culture that says green light, thumbs up, pursue partnerships between women and men, absolutely do it. Then you're going to be more likely to be successful. And the converse is also true. If you're in a, if you're in a culture that's suspicious or doesn't allow for that, it's going to be a tougher road. And then the third domain is intentional practices. And this is more the things that people and groups do to, to form uh, flourishing partnerships. And so um, there's three attributes there as well. So, so those three things, and I, it's all positioned within a Venn diagram. 
which uh, went through a number of different potential models, conceptual models, and landed with a Venn because it captures the interplay between all of the domains and the attributes. They all overlap, they work together, it's synergistic. And in the middle of the Venn diagram where the three domains intersect is the place of flourishing, which I define as personally satisfying and missionally effective. So it's those two axes. On one hand, this partnership is a joy for me to be a part of. It's life-giving. It's uh, more often than not at the end of the day, I go home glad that I get to work with this person, but it's also missionally effective. So it gets the job done more effectively. It, there's fruit that comes specifically because we're working together. So there's your overview. There's your 30,000 foot overview to the model. <laughs> that was so succinct and well put. Yes. Thank you for that. We love a good Venn diagram. I, I also, um, the thing I love about the domains is it brings together um, conversations or maybe like, I don't know, perspectives that we don't often bring together. So it brings together the private and the public. It brings together um, the spiritual with um, r- like really tangible cultural things within the institutions in which we operate. Um, and I wonder, I want to kind of drill down just, you gave the 30,000. I want to drill down on one particular attribute, especially if we have any um men listening, um, talking about the inner life, talking about um, kind of being reflectively aware of gender brokenness. I wonder if you could talk maybe specifically about um, the responsibility for um, men in a mixed gender partnership to be aware of gender brokenness. Um, If you could expound on that a little bit. Sure, sure. Yeah, thanks for that. So I think um, self-awareness came up often. So let's just say that first, that, that when I would interview people, they would say, well, I can work with someone if they are aware of who they are, right? Um, and I think that's significant to say that at the outset. So how aware you are of what's happening inside for you, your character, um, you know, who you are, that's just, that just really makes a difference. And I think um, there's a lot of examples that came out in my research of what the term I use is gender brokenness. So brokenness specifically around gender. So I can give you lots of examples, unfortunately, but, you know, so for men, often there'd be conversations around lust or objectification of women. Um, you know, for women, it would be some of the same stuff, but also just what it felt, what it's felt like to be objectified and kind of the recovery from that. I think for both genders, they would tell me stories about bias and how they view, how they've been discipled to view the other gender. And I think when people are working on that when they are acknowledging their brokenness and then moving towards wholeness, they're going to be more inclined or more able to have a healthy partnership. And so one of the questions I put in the book that has emerged as helpful for me and for some others that I've been working with that kind of gets at that is this question. It's um, how, um, how is my gendered identity? So for me as a man flawed and in need of redemption. So where do I need to grow? And then how is my view of the other gender flawed and in need of redemption? And sitting with that question as kind of a, like an examine almost of a, a, as a way of sort of reflecting before the Lord and coming up with answers to those questions. And then, and then sharing those with accountability and with friends and support, I think is a, is a, is a helpful first step towards wholeness. Um, So that's, so awareness for me is kind of the gateway uh, when you're aware of something, you can then do something about it. So it's the gateway towards this this like theme of redemption. Ah, that is that is so beautiful. And there's so many 
there's so many places to launch from that base ideology, that foundation, because yep. this, this, this helps in, in marriages. This helps when understanding yep. racial dynamics in the workplace. Like there's so many applications to that sort of that, that place of examine and, and starting that, which, which is part of our spiritual practice, which comes straight out yep. of our faith. So, so what a, what a gift. Yeah, I hope so. Um, well, pivoting from that, um, something Blake and I were talking about as we were preparing to talk to you today is that, you know, when we, when we start getting your book and giving it out to all of our friends, um, so many people fall into uh, this category where there's a, there's a, they're complementarian in, in, um, ideology, but tend to function more egalitarian. Um, like there's, there's only so many folks that fall into kind of sometimes hard categories of complementarian or egalitarian. And I know that you talk about this coming from an egalitarian foundation, but certainly can be read by, by anybody. Um, now I, I know it's like, I know the thing that's going to come up when I start talking about this book is that people are going to be like, yeah, but what does it say about the Billy Graham rule? I feel like in some cases, when we talk about men and women in ministry partnerships, there is a certain cultural sphere that has been deeply embedded in a discussion about the Billy Graham rule. And I was just wondering, because I know this is, this is, this is going to come up um, with listeners, and I would just love to hear your thoughts about the culture of the Billy Graham rule, the way it has um, manifests itself in our male female partnerships, and how does your book speak to to some of the some of the rhetoric around that? Yeah, great question, Erin. Um, well, first I'll say that whenever I'm presenting on the content of Together in Ministry and training situations or consulting, almost always the question is, well, what about the Billy Graham? I mean, it's that one, like the theological one. There's a couple that I know are going to come up almost every time, and this one for sure does that. So the Billy Graham rule, if you have listeners that we have listeners that don't know the Billy Graham rule, it's um, Billy Graham actually had a number of different rules that he and his cohort established, but this is the one that has become enshrined as practice for, you know, for Christian leaders the world over, which is that he was never going to be alone with a woman that wasn't his wife. And, uh, and so that's become kind of, the 11th commandment, perhaps, like it feels yes. like uh, it's a non-negotiable <laughs> yeah. in a lot of ministry contexts. Um, so I have a whole chapter on this, but let me try to sum it up to say that um, in my research experience, uh, there was a critique given of the Billy Graham rule. Uh, for one thing, the Billy Graham rule hasn't solved the problem that it was intended to solve, right? Literally. So, <laughs> yes, so right. Yes. So let's just say that as a ground rule. But beyond that, um, there were, uh, the phrase would be unintended consequences. And, and I think people told me stories and talked about the unintended consequences of the Billy Graham rule and how they experienced that. So for example, right, this idea that um, you can't be alone with, a, with a, someone of the opposite gender who's not your, your, your spouse um, means that for many women, they can't actually do their job, right? So if we say to a woman, you need to supervise these people, well, what is she going to do if there's men on her team? She can't supervise them. She can't meet with them in a, in a one-on-one setting, right? Or she has to do that in only specific situations and scenarios. That's difficult, right? Or uh, another one would be, another unintended consequence would be the sort of perpetuation of this underlying narrative that men can't control themselves and women are either prey or vixens. It's sort of this like narrative underneath the Billy Graham rule that 
is a toxic narrative. We shouldn't be perpetuating that, right? Instead, men should be doing their work, what we just talked about with um, kind of character development and recovery from brokenness. I mean, we all need to be doing our inner work, and that narrative doesn't help that. And then the third thing I'd say is the Billy Graham rule um, de- can deprive women, systematically deprive women of their agency, right? So uh, this one woman told me a story of um, she was driving they were going to go to a conference on the other end of the state. And she asked uh, one of her male colleagues who did the same job that she did, if they could drive together. And he just looked at her and he said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I follow the Billy Graham rule. And what that communicated to her in that moment was a, um, that she's a threat to him, which that's difficult for her uh, Two, that um, her, you know, it's safer to drive together, perhaps, right? So the safety was less important than his his purity or whatever. And then the third thing was that she she realized that when you drive to a conference, when you definitely when you drive home to a conference, is when you make the decisions of what you're going to do with the content of the conference, right? It's kind of the place where we figure out so what. And she was not going to be able to have access to that experience of so what. And she felt like, look, I don't have a voice. If I can't be, I'll paraphrase Hamilton to make my kids happy, in the room where it happens, right? She's not going to be able to be there to be a part of that conversation. So the unintended consequences of the Billy Graham rule. So what I propose in the book, and this came out in the research, is can each individual partnership, so can Blake and Aaron have a conversation about what it looks like for us to have healthy boundaries, contextualize boundaries that work for us, Given who we each are, given the context in which we're located, can we make decisions about what works best for us and then move forward with wholeness and accountability and care and the support that we need? So, so it's more of a contextualized approach as opposed to picking one guy's boundary, mm-hmm. who was a unique guy, by the way, yeah, very much. a unique person in a unique situation, in a unique time, and taking that one experience and sort of projecting that over everyone for all time. So a contextualized approach. Yeah, we, I appreciate that so much. Um, because I, in our day jobs, we have this, we have this situation. I am in a department where I've one other colleague, we have students that work for us, but, but my, my other colleague is the college chaplain and he's a male and I'm a female. It's just like the two of us. And we've been working together for almost nine years and have been able to, um, navigate a lot of this well. I see a lot of what we do coming out in your book, but it had to be intentional. And, and seeing where some of these cultural applications work and where they don't, Billy Graham rule would make it literally impossible for me to do my job. And uh, and, and Blake has a similar situation where he has uh, female supervisors and different people who work, uh, where he has to work with a variety of different folks. So this, this is why I love um, the fact that your book is coming out, the fact that you've done this research, the fact that we get to talk about it today day because um, it couldn't be more relevant and valuable uh, for a lot of the places we find ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, Aaron, let me just say, let me just piggyback on that and say that I think the conversation about boundaries will probably be awkward for people. So we should just say that, right? We're not used to talking about gender stuff. We're not used to talking about our brokenness. We're not used to talking about boundaries. I mean, one of the the giants in the land, so to speak, to go back to an earlier answer, I think is the church has a bent towards silence around issues of gender. And it feels awkward to talk about it because we don't have a well-developed muscles for talking about this sort of thing. So I think just to highlight that for listeners, I think the 
the conversation about what boundaries make sense for us, that could be super, super awkward. You just have to push through that. And I think as, as we push through that awkwardness and have conversations as women and men, uh, I think we'll find that it gets easier over time, you know, and I think we'll find that we develop trust and we develop a capacity to communicate that I think is lacking right now in too many contexts. Yeah, I, I think so too. But I, I, but I also think, I mean, speaking of Mars Hill and then like the countless other examples that we're seeing is we're seeing the, I think it is becoming a part of our like ecclesial zeitgeist, if you will, that boundaries are needed and that the, the hard lines in the sand, the 11th commandment, as you so um, eloquently put it, is not working in the ways that we wish it is. And actually that operating, that's what I, that's what I so appreciate about the idea of contextualized boundaries is those are boundaries without fear that allow us to operate with one another rather than boundaries dictated by fear that keep us from one another and then create um, like mismanaged power dynamics, which brings me to one of my last questions. If you could um, talk really briefly, because I think it's just all too relevant with things like the Mar- Mars Hill podcast with Ravi Zacharias last year with, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Um, the idea of power and um, power dynamics between men and women um, is ever present in um, our conversations and kind of highlights any other dialogue that we have surrounding gender theology right now. And I think rightfully so. What would you say um, to maybe someone who's reading your book, who is in a mixed gender partnership, but there is disparate power dynamics either um, because of experience or because of position, like positionally um, someone is um, has a greater um, amount of power over another. Yeah, that's a good question, Blake. I mean, I'll try to be brief on this one, but there's a lot to say on this. I think I, for one thing, I'll just say that I think um, the church, so generally speaking in the church and organizations, um, our, our perspective on power is unexamined. So, so what I, one of the things I say in Together in Ministry is I think we need to have a moment, each church does probably within churches, each team does, organizations, of, of asking the question, what is our view of power? Have we just sort of embraced the world's perspective on power? Or can we think theologically about power? So I think there's some work to be done even just at a conceptual level of thinking about power in the church. I mean, one of the, memorably, one of the interviews that I did over Zoom was this woman who was talking about power. And she, when she was talking about it, she held her hands open. Listeners can't see this, but she, she had her hands open, open palms up. And it just struck me as such a helpful visual, right? Of a way to think about power that's open-handed, that shares, that is about mutual advocacy and empowerment, as opposed to like a clenched fist uh, view of power that I think is the, the the image of power on offer so often in the in the secular world. So that's probably the first thing is, can we reimagine our power, how we think about power, how we theologize about power? In terms of your question, um, Blake, about what do we do if there's positional um, dynamics and things like that, I think we just talk about it. So, so again, this is where I'm going to say we got to push through the awkwardness to talk about it. I mean, I think for me, and I've been supervising women for a long time, one of my goals every year is to give away as much power as possible without getting fired. So <laughs> that may fantastic. be awkward or funny or something, but right. Like I have a, I, the organization gives me a certain amount of power. And my question is how can I share that or how can I empower others? Right. How can I 
uh, raise up others. And so what that looks like is like thinking ahead and saying, okay, who can lead this part of the ministry? So I don't need to, right? It's frankly a gift to me. It's less for me to do and it's developmental and it's, it's healthy for other people, right? And so um, I think that's probably one element of this is how do we think about our jobs and can we talk about how power works on the team? One more quick story. Um, I read a book called um, Making Room for Leadership by Mary-Kate Morse. We can put it in the show notes. And she, she writes an amazing book that thinks about power using the metaphor of space. So how much space I take up is, is uh, an analog to how much power I have. And how much space I take up is a function of all kinds of social metrics, whether it's my positional title, it's my ethnicity, it's my gender, I'm tall, physical stature, all ministry experience, all of these things play a part. And so I, we read this, uh, I read this book with my team and we sat down at the end and we said, okay, who's got, enough, who's got all the power? Who's got, what, how does the power work on our team? And they all looked at me and they said, bro, you got a lot of power, right? And it, we could tick through all the metrics and I do, I hit them all. And so for me, that was a great moment as a team of saying, well, is this how we want power to work on this team? And if not, what can we do to reorganize the power on our team? So one of the suggestions I'll make in the book is that, is that communities do a power audit. Ask the question, how does power work? How do we want it to work? And then what could it look like to rearrange things so that power works the way we want it to? I'll stop there. I love that. I love that. I hope uh, kind of as we wrap up, I I really, I love that we're ending on that note because I hope that that is what your book is helped to be used for Mm -hmm. because that's what I was experiencing. That's what I was experiencing as I was um, prepping for this conversation was not only a reminder of my own power and the places that I hold it both positionally and just socially and culturally, but also a reminder that it circles back to what you said in the beginning that it does, we don't fall into this, like to have flourishing partnerships between men and women in the broken, sinful and um, kind of warped space and time that we lived in, that we live in, we must be intentional about it. And I, I am so grateful to have um, a resource that is really accessible, that is not abstract, but is also deeply, deeply rooted in, um, cruciformity. And that's what I hear you talking about when you're talking about freely shared power is the example is the cross and mm. um, the giving away of power to the point um, that uh, to Christ's example. And I love that. And I'm so excited to get to tell everyone about your book. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Blake, just to go off of that, Blake, I mean, Philippians two, right. The, the, the old hymn there, I think it's the, biggest picture of leveraging privilege and power that you can come up with, right? Because Jesus has the ultimate power and he re, he, he is incarnate, takes the cross, right? So it's this amazing picture, I think, and a model for us, I hope. Indeed. Wonderful. Well, um, Rob, it has been so great talking to you today. We could probably go on and on, but we want to, we hope, we hope that this conversation has given listeners an insight into you and to your book, and we want them to go out and buy your book, um, which we'll be putting in the show notes, a link to the book on the, um, CBE, uh, bookstore and how people can pick that up. But Rob, is there any other way that people can follow you or support you? Are you on social media? Could you just want to shout out a little bit and talk about any other projects you might be doing or how we can support you? Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Um, so I'm on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Rob F 
Dixon, D-I-X-O-N on Twitter. I also have a, let me just manage expectations. I have a work in progress website out there that people can go to. It's Dr. Rob Dixon, D-I-X-O-N.com. And people can find me there. Um, yeah, we would love to have people find the book. And, and when you do, reach out. I'd love to hear what people are learning, what people are experiencing, how they're contextualizing this stuff. Um, I'm always available to Zoom in. I just Zoomed into a book club yesterday. I think the first ever book club on Together in Ministry happened yesterday, and I Zoomed in to be a part of that. So happy to do that too. Well, thank you so much for your work and for being with us today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Give to CBE's Giving Tuesday God Values Women fundraiser at cbe.today slash Tuesday. If you give between now and November 30th, your gift will be doubled. You will help CBE build a strong online voice to educate and advocate for women's equality in the church, address abuse in Africa, and distribute CBE's new books so churches can create safe spaces where women and men flourish together. Again, you can give securely online at cbe.today slash Tuesday. Looking for more information about CBE and our mission for biblical equality? Then please visit cbeinternational.org for more information. And please be sure to tune in each week for new episodes here or wherever else you listen to podcasts.